Hello, and welcome to Audience Surrogate. We are coming to you live from the beach. Not any beach, the beach. Just beach. I am Steve Vieira, and joining me, as always, is my co-host. His whole job is pod. Please welcome Matt Gilbert. And Steve, you're, you're so good at beach. You're so good at beach. You know, sometimes I, I go a little too far out. But thank goodness there's always someone there to bring me back to shore, put me back on solid ground. Is that someone John Cena? I wouldn't know. I, I couldn't make him out. I couldn't see him. <laughs> My favorite category of meme back in the day were Cena memes, especially where you at least expect it. Like if someone posted a video of Gandalf revealing himself as Gandalf the White and it would cut away to be John Cena or something, that would just warm the cockles of my heart. I used to love me some Cena memes. I, I, I was the same way. You, you couldn't substitute how funny it was just to hear those air horns all the time. <laughs> uh, lest I invoke the copyright infringement, just let's have a moment of silence for everybody to imagine those air horns. <laughs> Ah, culture. I didn't even realize that he was going to be in this film. It was such a pleasant surprise when he showed up as uh, the king of the ocean. It was a surprise, and yet it wasn't, because, one, John Cena is incredibly funny when he wants to be, and two, the way he is funny fits the world of Ken's like a glove. I'm surprised I didn't expect him in it. Yes, Greta Gerwig, the director of Barbie, which we will be discussing today on this very podcast, uh, she has described the film as maximalist, uh, and I think that John Cena has a very maximalist performance style when he needs to, so very well aligned here. Well, we've all seen the opening to Peacemaker, so if that's not maximalist, then what is? And once you're done listening to this podcast, if you haven't seen the opening of Peacemaker, Go grab your religious figure of preference and just have a watch. And find out for yourself if you do, in fact, want to taste it. Moving along. Uh, all right, so today we're going to be talking about Barbie. This is part one, according to the word, Barbenheimer, but part two of our discussion of this most hollowed weekend in film history. And that makes me wonder, why was it Barbenheimer and not Up and Harby? I like that. That's That kind of rolls off the tongue. Oppen Harvey. Doesn't it? It does. And then what was the other thing people were saying? Uh, Oppen Barbie, kind of? Or no? Was, was that a thing? Oh, absolutely not. No, I refuse. Okay. Well, whatever you call it, by any other name, it would still be a huge hit. Because this film has absolutely taken over. It is dominating the box office. It's dominating discussion it is all over the internet it dominated the biggest weekend in movies in 20 years yeah if you haven't heard about this film if you haven't seen this film then you are perhaps in the global minority um this week i believe that barbie just crossed the billion dollar mark at the global box office so around the world barbie is a sensation that should come as no surprise this is an iconic toy that people have had in their lives for the past 50 years but Greta Gerwig has returned it to people's attention front and center with an incredibly fresh and incredibly bold vision that audiences have fallen in love with and have rewarded. So, Gilbert, how'd you feel about this one? I loved it. I, I had a wonderful time with it. I thought it was incredibly smart. I could see 
exactly where and why Greta Gerwig took this on as a project and what she felt she could say with it. I laughed a lot. The performances are absolutely wonderful. And speaking broadly, I think this is possibly the best that this trend of millennial self-aware say the quiet part out loud humor has ever been and likely will ever be maybe it's just that game recognized game but as i was watching this movie for the first time i did identify a very millennial sensibility and of course greta gerwig is perhaps the voice of that generation or that part of the millennial experience and she is a visionary in her own right even before really this film was a feather in her cap so i agree it really speaks to this audience at this moment i feel it succeeds on many levels we're going to talk about them as we move forward but as we were getting ready for the pod you said that in many ways barbie was already a success before its release do you want to explain a little bit about what you meant by that yeah i mean you cannot overstate how great a job the teams at mattel and warner brothers did marketing this movie in the weeks and months leading up to it like you and i knew that so-called barbenheimer weekend was happening at the start of this year, that Barbie and Oppenheimer were, were releasing on the same day. No one knew what was going to happen with it, and everybody who said they did was lying. But th this became the center of the culture in ways that every movie wishes it could be. I think specifically of last year's box office disaster, Morbius. This is what they thought they had when they put it back into theaters, and what they would have given anything to actually have. I don't know how much... It, it helps to really lean on tracking as far as expectations for what a movie's box office is, because I find they're often lowballing it as far as what the final performance will be come the uh, Sunday of that opening weekend. But tracking for both these movies was pretty good. Oppenheimer was tracking for $40 million. Barbie, I think, was tracking for 150 And both of these movies blew that number out of the water. Oppenheimer doubled its expectation and Barbie went a clear $30 million over. And it was one of those rare moments that you can't manufacture where just movies were at the center of culture again and everybody was talking about it. Everybody had plans for how they wanted to see it. Some people, including yourself, took it upon themselves to go for the double feature, which I had to imagine was an experience given the heady nature of both of these movies. And... As someone who has enjoyed movies for as long as I've been alive, I did not think we would be able to have moments like this outside of the word Avengers again. I do just want to bring my receipts to the table very quickly to say that in our episode outlining our most anticipated films of the year, Barbie was my number three. And certainly I could not have predicted the runaway success of this film or the records it's broken. And I do just want to take a minute to quickly state for our own record that after it debuted to $155 million in its opening box office, it became the highest debut performance of any film directed by a single woman. It was the highest grossing debut of the year 2023. This has since gone on to be the highest grossing film directed by any woman of all time. It is tearing the box office to shreds, um, and it is more successful than anyone could have predicted. It's great to see a filmmaker vindicated this way, because 
as successful as it is, and while in hindsight many people will probably say that it was a foregone conclusion that Barbie would do as well as it did, um, I think that there was a tremendous amount of risk here, and I think that Margot Robbie, who in addition to starring in the lead role, was also a producer on the film, um, and her production company Lucky Chap brought it to the screen, Margot and Greta Gerwig, one of the co-writers and director, they talk about how they had to be a little scrappy to get Warner Brothers and to get studios to entertain this idea, um, and they had to say that it would go on to be this tremendous hit and to really sell it, and that chance has paid off. Um, it'll pay off for Warner Brothers, it'll pay off for Mattel, it'll pay off for hopefully Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie as they go on to do bigger and better things. And I think that it received a tremendous boost from the spectacle nature of this weekend. Uh, you and I are both died in the wool cinephiles and we love spending time at the movies laying out in front of our screens just drinking in different ideas and different stories but enough is enough sometimes um and we'll be the first to tell you when a movie is too long or when it's poorly paced oppenheimer so it was a bit of a tall order if only you could do footnotes in an audio format um <laughs> but I, I i can fix it in post <laughs> um you can keep that in. Anyway, for as much as we do love movies, I'm not inclined to say I'll go do a double feature every time there are some interesting releases. Um, but there was so much hype placed on these two films, and they just fit perfectly together. It was almost like a meet-cute in a romantic comedy, um, where these two opposites came together in perfect fashion, um, where they were both very stimulating um, on an intellectual level, on an emotional level, on a visual or sensory level, but they complemented each other really well. Um, and they spoke to both my left and right brain um, <laughs> in different ways. So when I look back on Barbie in the future, I'm sure this is a film I'll see again. I hope to see it in theaters um, with some, some other groups of friends. I will always, on some level, be reaching back to this first viewing that makes it a little hollowed and a little special and will stand above. And it will be a cinematic experience probably I talk about in the likes of something like Endgame or Star Wars or one of these, these major movie events. Absolutely. This movie, I think, is going to live a thousand lifetimes on max or on netflix whatever streaming service is lucky enough to pick it up but you're absolutely right greta gerwig is someone who people like you and i we've known she has the juice for a very long time Lady Bird is one of the most promising directorial debuts of any director in history and little women was an award season darling and a fantastic movie and really showed us that Lady Bird was not a fluke, that Greta Gerwig can do pretty much anything she sets her mind to, and she has an unnatural ability of capturing it cinematically and tonally and presenting it to the audience in a way that feels both familiar and fresh at the same time. And this is her first blockbuster, and she absolutely crushes it. This is the arrival for her that people like you and I have been anticipating since 2017, and I could not be happier that now mainstream audiences get to know her name as well as genuine cinephiles do. The movie I compared most to this film, even before its release, when I was thinking about what it would be, and I think works well after release, is 
Knives Out, specifically Glass Onion, a knife or a Knives Out mystery, because I think that Ryan Johnson is perhaps a polarizing filmmaker because of his work on Star Wars, but I think that Knives Out is the series or the set of films he's most associated with now uh, over Last Jedi, and he is a filmmaker that knows how to subvert something, how to turn something inside out, how the audience expects something to unfold or the relationship the audience has to it, and he knows how to develop very intricate constructions uh, inside of these manicured worlds. He knows how to expose all of the quirks of a very larger-than-life ensemble cast, and he can present it in an accessible and engaging and rollicking way that leaves you laughing and leaves you thinking and leaves you with some things to wonder about, or you can see how everything fits together in such a way that enhances how you feel rather than overtakes you. And I felt a lot of that DNA or perhaps a lot of that filmmaking ethos in Barbie because Greta Gerwig is taking the very idea that people have expectations about Barbie or that Barbie is a totem for larger forces and both turning inside out this product and what this product means to people, but also holding up those sets of values to people and the baggage that they're bringing to the table when they're dealing with a piece of plastic that's been molded. That's an interesting comparison. Knives Out never occurred to me, but when I think back on some of the visual humor and the dialogue, you're right, I can absolutely see the uh, connections there. It seems to me that Barbie is a bit of an inkblot, because when you look at the film and you see the ways the different characters react to her, both in Barbie land and outside of Barbie land, uh, the mythical space in which Barbies live through the play of, of children. Should we put a spoiler warning ahead? Maybe we should put a spoiler warning behind just for a little bit. But yeah, if you're, if you're listening and you've not seen Barbie and you have followed us through the the river and rollerblade bridge uh, to Los Angeles, there will be spoilers ahead. Uh, we will be talking about this movie below the belt, even though it does not has genitals. Um, go see Barbie. It is worth your time. And come back and uh, and bring bring some Kens. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's some lessons for the Kens here to learn. Um, but they're, you know... Be warned, ye who who enter here and listen to this podcast. Barbie Land is an imagined space. It is a place that Barbies inhabit in the in the minds of children, but also as a physical plane. And because Barbies can kind of take on whatever life or whatever qualities the child playing with them can have, the film plays with the idea, pun intended, that people are bringing their own preconceived notions and they're hanging their own ideas and dreams on Barbie. So when Barbie meets characters like a 12-year-old girl in a school in Los Angeles, that girl looks at Barbie as a relic that 
tries to reinforce an obsolete view of, of womanhood on her. And she calls Barbie a fascist. We have other people like the Kens in Barbie land and even some of the men perhaps in the real world who look at Barbie as if she is this object to be put on a pedestal and worshipped that they need to, to bring into their gravity. You have people like the Mattel Corporation who look at Barbie as a product, something to be profited off of. So everybody can see Barbie, even though Barbie is stereotypical. She is supposed to be a blank object or something that reflects the most broad experience. Um, and they, people can still project different things onto her. She can still mean different things to different people, despite needing to mean something to everybody. And that's what I think was one of the smartest things I noticed about this movie was the differences in perception between Barbie land and the real world. Like the movie opens with a narration from Helen Mirren about the history of dolls and how dolls started out as babies preparing young girls for the quote unquote joys of motherhood. But then dolls like Barbie gave them an adult figure to play with and allowed them to project any kind of reality onto her that they chose. And as she put it, and then all the problems of feminism were solved forever. And that's legitimately what the Barbies think. And then when she runs into the Ariana Greenblatt character, who she believes is the girl who's been playing with her for her entire life, she sees her as a negative force in the culture, something that has set back the cause of feminism 50 years because of how stereotypical and empty the uh, the perception of Barbie is. But something that Gerwig notices that I think is very astute of her is that that's not what Barbie has been at all. Like, I remember commercials on Nickelodeon and Disney Channel and Cartoon Network for every kind of Barbie set you can think of. There were princesses, there were doctors, there were surgeons. I'm sure there were lawyers. Like, any kind of profession a young girl could aspire to be, there was a Barbie for that. And every single one of those Barbies is represented in Barbie land. So when Barbie meets this Sasha character and is taken aback by how different the real world perceives her compared to how she believes herself and her other Barbies to be, I was kind of right there with her because the movie made me remember, oh yeah, there's a lot of different kinds of Barbie for a lot of different kinds of girl out there who can play with her. So we might not have too much of a relationship to Barbie personally, but if this is a movie for all people, what do you think this movie is trying to say to some of the people who might think that Barbie is not relevant to them or that Barbie is something obsolete? I think that this is a movie that is primarily about gender stereotypes influenced and enforced by toys. Barbie is the prototypical girl's toy. I, I don't mean that pejoratively. I mean that as a fact. It is a doll that was marketed as and for young girls to play with as they pleased. And because we live in a very male-dominated world, that became something that was looked down on. Playing with your Barbies was synonymous with immaturity, childhood, naivete even. And I think that what this movie does very smartly is it explores what the roles of gender are represented and reinforced by the stories we tell through our toys. When Ken 
journeys back to Barbie land and becomes Andrew Tate 2.0. He is the stereotypical man in the way that Barbie is thought of as the stereotypical woman. He is all about horses and cars and watching The Godfather and all these different things that make our world a male-dominated space. And the disparity between Ken in Barbie land and Barbie in the real world, I think, is Gerwig showing us the point of view of being a woman in a man's world through the eyes of a man in a woman's world. And I think that is what the movie does exceptionally well, is that it explores not just the gender roles that toys can kind of impress upon us, but how that has translated into real effects facing girls today who play with Barbies, who used to play with Barbies, who don't anymore, and who have grown up in that world reinforced by a patriarchy. Yeah, you referenced the opening a moment ago, inspired by 2001, um, and exactly as you're saying, in that sequence, the arrival of Barbie is presented as a liberating event that can show girls they can be more than simply mothers in the world, which is true and which is important, but at the same time, girls are now being given another toy to tell them what they can expect for themselves in a society that has gendered expectations for what a woman can be and who a woman should be. So again, culture is being created through this idea of consumption, these material products, even when we're kids, so that we are even blind to the process and we simply accept it as fact. We see in this film even some of the Barbies that have gone out of production were designed to be pregnant even, or were designed to go through puberty. And so these toys are teaching kids about what to expect, maybe in a time where parents weren't exactly going to explain the birds and the bees and what's happening to your body. So really, our entire idea of the world comes through a constructed reality or a constructed experience. Um, those values become the way that we think the world operates. It's great to watch Barbie have the culture shock and kind of leave that Garden of Eden, as has been said about her journey to the real world. I'm horrified by the prospect of a Barbie that is perpetually pregnant that has no genitals. That seems like a, a form of uh, torture in Greek mythology. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that sounds pretty rough. I do think it's interesting, though, to the point about a man in a woman's world... That's almost played as a joke in the beginning of the film, um, how Barbies have not necessarily created a perfectly tolerant and equal society, but in which Barbies exist as the alphas in their own uh, society, community. I do like the satire and the reversal that Gerwig is, is going for here, to the point you made about how originally... Ken is this man in a woman's world, which is supposed to be this satirical mirror of the woman in a man's world. We see that uh, when Barbie eventually comes over to our side of reality. What do you think Gerwig is trying to say kind of about those gender differences? Do you think that she's trying to say that everything can be or will be should be kumbaya do you think that she's trying to reveal something about the genders here or do you think that she's just trying to poke fun at kind of the ways that they live together i think if anything she is poking at the idea of an entire gender being subjugated for no particular reason i think that the way that barbie's 
dominated Barbie Land in a way that made Ken's practically ornamental did not work out for that world very well. And, I mean, you only have to look out a window to see exactly how our world, dominated by men, that goes out of its way to shrink whatever spaces there are for women, does the same thing. I I don't think that she's necessarily proposing a solution, but at least an ideal that, in a perfect world, neither gender feels like they have been overshadowed by the other because everybody can respect each other's personhood, autonomy, purpose even. And another thing that I think the movie explores is the idea that what Barbie has become is not what she was set out to be. That she started out as this doll that existed to give girls the opportunity to explore any reality for themselves that they dreamed, but through a male-dominated space and a male-dominated corporate structure, she became as much of a soulless figure of gender-enforced capitalism as anything else is, and that's maybe something that can be fixed instead of swallowed up by the machine of things being created by men, marketed by men, and organized by men, even when they are created for and marketed to girls. And it's interesting because toys can't exist without toy makers, whether they're elves at the North Pole or robots at a factory somewhere in uh, the Southern Hemisphere. Or children in sweatshops. Yeah, they can't get a ticket to see Barbie. But those very toy makers or the people behind the curtain are portrayed in this movie. Um, And I thought it was very interesting because Mattel is behind this film. They are investors, uh, producers, not necessarily, but they helped bring this into the world. But they don't escape unscathed under Gerwig's Gerwig's eye. Um, And I thought that she was actually quite biting in her criticism of the way that corporations exploit that image kind of of uh, an individual to different people and tell them this is what you're supposed to be um, and you're supposed to accept it. You see Barbie herself in, in the beginning of the film as she begins to have these existential thoughts become disillusioned with her perfect life that she has a literal dream house with everything that she could possibly want. She doesn't really face any challenges in her day, and she has all these fantastical things and accessories. Everything is perfect. She begins to think, this, is, this isn't this is right. There's something wrong here. There's something that's not fulfilling me here. So I thought it was interesting how the toy begins to challenge the idea of materialism and, be- and comes to reject that. I, too, have frequent thoughts of death that keep me up at night Mm -hmm. and that make me uh wet blanket at parties um (laughs) but i just can't walk away from the jabs that gerwig really lays into the mattel corporation she shows that the entire board is composed of men and there are many jokes about how women have been excluded from the levers of power despite pitching this product that is all about female empowerment and how women can go on to do anything it's almost like this uh they've created this matrix scenario where they're they're selling a false vision of complacency when they're just kind of profiting off of that false idealism that's exactly what it is like it was 100 percent a choice 
to show that the entire boardroom of the Mattel Corporation is made up of middle-aged, if I'm not mistaken, almost entirely white guys. That is absolutely something that Greta Gerwig did on purpose. That is a disparity that she wanted us to notice. I don't know how much of a reality that reflects at the Mattel Corporation, but I think it does speak volumes to their willingness to trust her as a filmmaker and acknowledge the part that they may have played in what the legacy of Barbie has become, that they let her throw that in this movie and paint them as, if not entirely bad guys, at the very least horrifically out of touch. There have been a couple of brand movies to come out this year already. I'm thinking about Tetris. I'm thinking about Air. Do you think that being in on the joke makes it more palatable to have a movie that is about a product or that is about some kind of corporation? In on the joke in what way? Mattel is the butt of the joke in a lot of ways. You know, Will Ferrell is kind of this nonsensical oaf character and he does it better than anybody, but he makes Mattel look bumbling. He makes them look ineffectual. He makes them look almost hypocritical in terms of the ways that they empower the women they purport to represent. So he's the source of a lot of comedy in terms of how buffoonish he is and the way that he makes decisions. So it's shocking on the one hand to think that Mattel would allow themselves to be represented in this way. But do you think that because Mattel is in on the joke, you know, that they're trying to say, yeah, we we get it. We, you know, we have some problems or there's some issues here. Does that affect the relationship you have with the movie where they're maybe trying to say we have some kind of adverse role that we've been playing in society or that we exist to kind of sell something to you? Does it affect our relationship with them or this film as an extension of their product to say that they're like, yep, we our role in this story is to sell you something? I think that's definitely what they're hoping the takeaway is. I, I can't say what their intent is, how much they knew about Gerwig's script before putting it out there, but they definitely want us to believe that they are willingly taking some egg on their face, that they are acknowledging some wrongdoing to appear, dare I use the word, woke, to acknowledge the damage that turning Barbie into a stereotype of womanhood has done to us as a people. But as for what that does to the movie itself, I think that depends largely on what kind of movie you're telling. Like, Air is a sports movie. It's an underdog story. Therefore, Nike are the good guys and Adidas is the bad guys. Tetris is an underdog story of a different kind. It's kind of this amazing, can you believe this happened story about how the most influential video game of all time came to be such. This movie, more, I think more than anything, is about the cultural impact and legacy of Barbie as intellectual property, and I think that that is inextricable from her connection to the Mattel Corporation, to how Mattel chose to proceed with her and brand her and market her, and exactly what they chose for years upon years, if not decades, of what Barbie is versus what Barbie is not. And I think that is just the Greta Gerwig touch. That is something that you would not find in another movie based on toys. You didn't, you didn't have that in the Lego movie. You didn't have that in Transformers. Very different kinds of movie, I know. But they're both based on toys. One of them is a very silly science fiction franchise and the other is an equally silly but in a knowing kind of way almost slapstick comedy about the legacy of lego as a toy about the importance of 
coloring outside the lines, building without the instructions, and just potential that stretches as far as your own imagination. This movie, I think, goes more towards the Lego route than the Transformers one. But I think that including Mattel as characters in the movie kind of broke the fourth wall, but in a successful way, because it forces us to think about not just how we think of Barbie in the year 2023, but also why we think of her that way and who made those choices in the first place. It's very interesting that you use the phrase break the fourth wall in a movie where the narrator literally talks about how Margot Robbie is playing Barbie. Um, That may be my favorite line in the movie. (laughs) My favorite line, first of all, when you were talking about the Lego movie a minute ago, I did have to look around the room at the various pieces of colored plastic bricks that I have uh, <laughs> keeping me company. So before anyone thinks that I'm some kind of punk rock anti-corporatist out here, I can chill with the best of them and I love to pick my fruits from the IP tree as well. I think that Barbie does follow in the path of the Lego movie in a really interesting way because the Lego movie is self-aware and both of these films are about the idea that we project the world we want onto these toys and then we become disappointed when the world can't match those expectations. Barbie is stereotypical Barbie. She is meant to be this universal expression of the way that everybody lives or that everybody experiences the world. But it is truly breaking the fourth wall because the Mattel Corporation acknowledges that they created Barbie and that she exists in Barbie land and that she can come into the real world. So there is this idea that, you know, we become aware of the trick that the toy is playing on us or that the trick the corporation kind of is trying to, to execute where... They're selling us something, we're taking that something, and we're using it to kind of shape the way that we live, and then we think that this corporation is kind of part of the fabric of our society, or we think that this is kind of the very fabric of the world that we live in. So I think it's an interesting way of of illustrating that dynamic within the actual text of the film. I think it's it's perhaps the smartest execution of that in one of these brand movies or company movies, perhaps since the Lego movie. And I believe that when Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie in particular were making the pitch to Warner Brothers, Margot Robbie said that connecting Greta Gerwig and Barbie was like connecting Steven Spielberg and dinosaurs. And I think that that is the exact match made in heaven that she just described, because Gerwig is perfect at illustrating all of these things and at finding a way to distill these really complex concepts into a visual joke or to something that's kind of easily understood and, and kind of just incorporated into your experience of the film. Yeah, that's absolutely a worthy comparison. Greta Gerwig matches this material with everything you could possibly want or expect her to. We all knew going into this that Barbie was going to be feminist, that it was going to be socially conscious, that it was going to be funny, that it was going to be smart. And it's hard to imagine Greta Gerwig making a Barbie movie that is even a little bit different from this. Like, nobody knew exactly what shape this movie was going to take, but I think it touched on just about everything we could have ever expected as well as it possibly could have. And going back to the Mattel Corporation for a second, we can debate about how much this is a mandate by the corporation or purely from Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach's screenplay. But one thing that I really enjoyed is that against my expectations, Will Ferrell and the Mattel 
corporate overlords were not the antagonists of the movie. They were not just the bad guys in suits that I expected them to be. And when we found out they were going to Barbie land, I was about to roll my eyes. They're just like, oh no, please don't let them fuck everything up. Please don't let them just be prototypical men who don't understand women and therefore change everything. Especially because what they were doing with the Kens versus the Barbies, I thought was a much more interesting idea. And I appreciated that by the end of the movie, Will Ferrell and his Mattel cronies, like, they were silly, they were out of touch, but they weren't bad guys. They had a lot to learn, but they were actually willing to do that. And, and, and I appreciated that, that we didn't have that kind of black and white, good guy versus bad guy dynamic when the reality of how these things influence who we grow up into is a lot more nuanced and complicated. The film has a lot to do with the ways institutions shape us, but also the way that people choose to participate in those institutions. And so I think it's interesting exactly to the point you're making, not that Mattel necessarily is the antagonist for the sake of being this faceless evil entity, but the perhaps true villain of the film is patriarchy, and Ken does not bring patriarchy into the world because he wants to see himself sitting on some kind of throne or because he has any kind of nefarious desires, but he's kind of misled, you know, and his emotions get the better of him. Ironic, given that that is often a criticism directed at a certain gender and Ken allows his own heart to overwhelm his head. I wonder if that was intentional. But... I think it does kind of show almost a banality of evil sort of thing where people don't always take the time to realize the impact that their actions have. I mean, Ken introduces patriarchy as a way of getting attention um, or as a way of feeling praise. So it's not that people need to express evil intention before doing something that's bad or that has bad consequences. He is not duped into patriarchy um, because he is the one who goes out, you know, and, and reads all those books about it in the library. But he participates in it without realizing the cage it creates for the Barbies and for the, the female characters in the real world. And I thought... It was very smart of Gerwig to show, yes, you know, people don't always engage in these kind of gendered displays of behavior, treat people differently because they necessarily think they're better or someone is worse. It's just kind of what they've been conditioned to to think or what they've allowed themselves to believe. And when they focus on themselves more than their community, like the Kens were effectively second-class citizens in Barbuland, even though it wasn't something so horrific as that term necessarily implies. Again, they were ornamental. Ken considered himself Barbie's boyfriend, but she never let him sleep at her in her dream house. They, What would they do? Beach. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that what we see towards the third act of the movie where the Kens assert their dominance over Barbie land is effectively a response to how they felt they were treated under a Barbie land ruled by Barbies. They felt that they had no agency, that they had no power, that every form of control or power over their own circumstances was kept out of their hands. And I think the movie makes a pretty clear statement that it's better that they are in the Barbie's hands than the Ken's, but also that nobody wants to live in a world like that. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss, eh, Barbie? <laughs> That's exactly what it is. 
And I think, again, that goes back to the idea that it's not that someone is necessarily evil, it's that people are a reflection of the world they're put in or the influences that they have. Barbies don't intend to sideline Ken's, and Barbie says at the end of the film, you know, maybe not every night had to be girls' night. She didn't realize the effect her decisions were making, in the same way that Ken didn't really appreciate that uh, patriarchy was not about horses, and that it was doing (laughs) bad things to the Barbies. So, again, very very smart commentary from, from Greta here. What do you think about the way some people have been responding to this? Or how do you think that this has been sitting with audiences? Because, of course, if the world were perfect and just and everyone were open to hearing about other perspectives, maybe we wouldn't need Barbie or we wouldn't need a Barbie movie. So do you think that people are going to respond to this, that people have been responding to this? What's your vibe on how people feel about some of these messages or the film in general? So the response to this movie has been overwhelmingly positive. It's sitting at a certified fresh 88% from critics and 84% from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. That is almost unheard of in this day and age. Usually you see some kind of disparity between the critics and the audiences. But anytime something becomes a billion dollar piece of culture, there is inevitably a backlash to it. There is inevitably some market correction that happens of examining what this thing is saying what this thing is doing and how this thing is influencing our culture, our movie-going society, for better or worse. And I just want to say for the record that anybody who is maybe a bit more critical of this movie and the ideas that it puts forward and who may have been offended by it um, are idiots. In a movie that surprised absolutely zero people, Ben Shapiro made a whole stink about how much he did not like this movie because it was too woke or whatever. And, I mean, first of all, I'd be shocked if he even wanted to like this movie because if he did, then he wouldn't have anything to talk about and generate his numbers. But no, there's an entire sect of people out there who are deeply offended by this movie's portrayal of emasculated men and a society run by women. And it is so exhausting to listen to. I I, I, I called them idiots, and I mean, if you didn't like this movie, that's your own thing, but don't pretend it's for any reason other than you don't like things that are aimed at women. Like, that is totally fine, but if this movie is not for you, then it's just because it's not for you. It's not because it does anything badly. One thing that I've heard about that I think is absolutely hysterical is that people's real-life relationships are breaking up because of the differences they have with their partners about the portrayal of gender in this movie. And when you look at how this movie portrays men and what is right and what is wrong and how it portrays women and the same thing. If this breaks up your relationship, that relationship should have broken up a long time ago. Yeah, this is Greta Gerwig having a positive influence on the culture beyond uh, what she's obligated to do as a filmmaker. So God bless. You really love to see it. Absolutely. I I'm not sure if I've ever told you about this stand-up special I'm absolutely head over heels in love with called Jigsaw by Daniel Sloss, but it's on Netflix. And this is a stand-up special that, it's about an hour long, that is notorious for having broken up, I think at this point, over half a million relationships and ended hundreds of marriages because of the ideas that it presents of personal autonomy and how we think about relationships versus what the reality of them actually are. And that thing, let me tell you, if your relationship is broken up by that, 
that is a good thing. It deserves to be because it means that the person you are with is not who you actually want to be with. But if your relationship is broken up by a fucking Barbie movie, I'm sorry, build a bridge and get over it. <laughs> I will have to watch that jigsaw while I'm single now just to do it in lab conditions. Oh, you'd love it. Everyone check it out. You are, of course, always a solid recommendation. Um, but I think that someone like Ben Shapiro has no choice but to criticize the Barbie movie, not necessarily because a dog will bark, but because if they don't do it, they risk losing a lot of their audience potentially, or they risk people becoming vaccinated against their, their song. I remember when I was young, I watched The Colbert Report, and I would stay up into the late night to watch whatever Stephen Colbert was going to do next. And that was actually very formative for me politically, because I didn't really think much about politics at that time. I was in high school, so I had to ask myself, why am I laughing? You know, why do I think this is funny and what does that say about me? And that led me to, you know, begin asking questions about my worldview and the kind of person I wanted to be. And exactly as you said, Gilbert, this film is phenomenally well-received. It's getting A's on CinemaScore. It has a great rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So this is not a niche product. This is not something that a few people have gone to see and have felt middling about. This is something that audiences the world over are falling in love with. They're laughing about it. They're coming to realizations about their own lives through this film. And so I think that if you're someone like Ben Shapiro, and you have an audience that you're trying to pump with hate, the worst thing that can happen is a comedy or a satire that pokes fun at exactly what you say gives them strength. Because if they can go and they start laughing, that they'll wonder why they're they're buying into something um, that can be so easily undone. Or they'll wonder why they're laughing in the first place, and maybe they'll begin to change the way they think. Perhaps I'm being a little bit too optimistic about the power of cinema and what art can do, blah, blah, blah. But I do think that laughter can really overpower anger nine times out of ten. And I'll, I'll take that fight just about any day of the week. So the fact that Barbie can make these jokes about gender, about patriarchy, about society... That's the biggest threat to anyone who is uh, a sculptor of hate, because this will knock their sculptures right to the ground. 100%. And on the other hand, I, I do also see some backlash coming at it from the other side, from the people who would agree with its points, but maybe are a little bit frustrated by its tamer approach to feminism and social critique that it's maybe a little bit outdated in terms of its ideals i personally don't agree with that it's not my position to say if someone's right or wrong but i do find it just exhausting on a social level how if some things are not as radical or as revolutionary as the people watching it or as the person standing next to them then that is somehow the enemy that this movie is somehow enforcing gender stereotypes because it is exploring them at all. And I'm sorry, I personally don't subscribe to that at all. If, if that is your take, more power to you. But I, I just find myself exasperated by this idea that something has to be 100% pure in order to be worthy of appreciation or discussion. 
I've seen a lot of bad faith interpretations of this film. Um, and again, for something like Barbie that is as iconic and ubiquitous in our society, it's going to mean so many different things to so many different people that the reactions will be countless. Some of those will bound to be a little bit more vinegar, vinegary than others. Um, I think that you and I both agree there's a lot this film succeeds at. There's a lot of merit this film has. Um, and there's a lot that will probably keep us coming back to this film again in the future. I do want to make sure we talk about the performances. Because Barbie would be nothing without its its leading lady, without its Kens, uh, and without its, its populace of real-world citizens. So let's start at the beginning with Margot Robbie. As you and I acknowledged earlier... Our narrator, Helen Mirren, says that if the producers are trying to show any woman that she can be beautiful or that she can be a success, Margot Robbie may not be perhaps the best avatar for that message. So the film already has some ideas about what it's doing casting Margot Robbie. Gilbert, what did you think? I thought she was exceptional. Margot Robbie is a born movie star, born possibly 30 years too late because... We don't live in the time of movie stars anymore. We don't live in a world in which an actor can carry a movie to box office success on their name alone, even though that is exactly the kind of actor that Margot Robbie is and has struggled to prove herself as. You and I absolutely love Babylon, and I think she's exceptional in that. But between that and, I don't know, The Legend of Tarzan, a million movies that she's been in over the last three or four years her, her movies despite the level of talent she brings to them have not found mainstream success and i'm overjoyed that she finally found something that treats her like the star that she is that she knows she is i find her performance as stereotypical barbie something very balanced because she says multiple times that she is stereotypical Barbie, but no one ever actually says out loud what that means. But there is a wryness, a bit of a smirk happening behind all of her lines that makes it clear she is very much in on the joke and is elevating that element of Barbie's personality to the benefit of the screenplay. And I think that is everything you want a movie star to do. And this is what I've wanted to see Margot Robbie be able to do for a long time commercially. Like, I have been a huge fan of hers for a very long time, but now it feels like the rest of the world is seeing her for the talent that she is. And she's unmistakable. Five years ago, if you were to ask someone to identify Margot Robbie, maybe who wasn't entirely plugged into Hollywood, they would probably say the actress who looks like Barbie. Um, I mean, the casting department really did not have to do a very exhaustive search for this role, but they had such a blessing because Margot Robbie, beyond her immeasurable beauty, is an equally immeasurable talent. Um, and I think that she is a movie star in Babylon. My God, does she command every frame that she's in with energy that, that sizzles and that could power a city for weeks. But... As Barbie, as a role that is one of the most larger-than-life figures or personalities you can imagine, she almost plays it like it's a supporting character. Um, because in being stereotypical Barbie, she can't be too forceful, I think, or too assertive as an individual. That's not to say that she blends into the scenery, but she is a vessel for other people to 
express their their dream or to feel that they can connect to no matter what their background is where they come from what they're looking for she is almost a a platonic ideal um and that for her means being a little bit more balanced being a little bit more uh neutral yes that's the perfect word and she certainly finds a way to make neutral unique and to express personality through that performance but I thought that she did a great job communicating a lot of depth, hitting a lot of different notes, whether that's comedy or something more serious. Some of the self-awareness she's asked to exhibit, I thought, was really fascinating and really intriguing to watch. But again, she can, she can do both. She can do the movie star performance, but she can also do kind of the more subtle ensemble role. And she can do both inside the same film. Two thumbs up! Yeah, no, 100%. You alluded to the part earlier when uh, Sasha calls her a fascist, and in one of the movie's funniest lines, she says, I don't control the railways or the flow of commerce. My favorite line in the movie. I had a feeling it would be. She She's having an emotional breakdown about this, but it is laugh-out-loud funny, and that is something only movie star charisma can do. And... You're 100% right about the neutrality there. She is stereotypical Barbie. She is not allowed to be too much of anything. Meanwhile, we have Barbies who are presidents and doctors and members of the Supreme Court. There is every kind of Barbie you can think of, and she is the one who has to be none of those. But she's never boring. She's never absent of a personality. In fact, she only makes that lack of distinctiveness a strength to her character which is not something i think a lot of actors would be able to do certainly not um because i think that for many actors there is a temptation to go in one direction or the other that you want your character to be defined by something and so i think it takes a lot of insight a lot of comfort in your craft to be someone who can say that they're going to live in that ambiguity and uncertainty so that certainly speaks to, to Margot Robbie's talent. And she's already done so much. Again, she's had the Babylon role. She has had the Wolf of Wall Street performance as these sort of uh, femme fatale, bombshell type characters where she's... Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad is another one where she's doing a kind of comic book over-the-top performance. She has I, Tanya, where she does more of a psychological... Um, profile and examination so there are various roles where she's been asked to be funny and over the top and to really dial it up and she does great at that um so even though she's in this role that is tremendous and iconic margot robbie has nothing to prove and so i think that she she certainly is bringing some confidence to the role um i'm sure that she felt a lot of pressure to, to really hit this home run but she does a great job um and she's able to make it look pretty effortless which i think is also the idea of barbie that it's it doesn't have to be hard she really does she encapsulates the entire ethos of barbie even one that you can't entirely put your finger on as to what it is but because she plays her so expressively yet blankly at the same time it allows her to be everything Barbie needs to be, even if that is, for the purposes of the movie, nothing. The movie asks her perhaps to be nothing, or does not need her to be 
too much so that other people can respond to her, and no one has more of a reaction or relationship to Barbie than our man Ken. All of them. All, all of them, yes. Uh, we have not noted it here, perhaps in so many words, but there are variants of Barbie and Ken. You know, there is, as Gilbert, you just noted, President Barbie. There is Dr. Barbie, Lawyer Barbie, Pulitzer Prize or Nobel Laureate Barbie. I don't remember which it is, but, you know, she's the highest level of achievement Barbie. To borrow a line from Lady Bird, they are all the titular role. Exactly. Um, way to, way to bring it all back home with a bow. Um, however, Ken is just Ken. There's many different Kens, but they're all just Ken. Their job is beach. They're a great hang, but they are not really asked to have any kind of defining trait. I guess following the logic of the film, Ryan Gosling would maybe be stereotypical Ken. Again, I think much like Margot Robbie, the casting is, is trying to work at a meta level here because... Ryan Gosling is not only an incredible movie star, an incredibly talented actor, he's a a heartthrob, much like Ken, but he also has a reputation, I think, for being a little inscrutable. I think a lot of people look at Ryan Gosling and they think, who is that guy? You know, he does try to live quite outside the public eye. And so even though people have a very fond relationship or a very fond outlook, I think, of him, he is still someone who can either be this mysterious character who drives and runs people over in the middle of the night. And he can also be kind of the the, the hunk at the sen- the sensitive character at the center of La La Land. Um, and then he can go on to, to do whatever projects he wants. So I thought that the film is doing a very smart job saying we're going to take this guy who can be funny, who can be hot, you know, who can deliver the acting we might need, um, and who can be anybody that you want him to be or need him to be, and he's going to be our Ken. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Ryan Gosling is one of the best actors in the business at calibrating his performance to the movie he is in. There is a million different versions of him. He can be stoic. He can be funny. He can be serious. He can be romantic. And it's all just Ryan Gosling. And when he is funny, that is one of my favorite versions of him in movies like this and the nice guys. And even La La Land, he delivers his comedic material with such a punch. He just knows how to hit the words exactly right so that it sounds completely matter of fact but still gets a laugh every single time. And when it comes to Ken and how vapid his entire personality is, Ryan Gosling shows up for that in spades. And he's probably the funniest part of this movie, I would say. When I was watching this film, I did feel conflicted because it felt wrong to think that Ken stole the show in the Barbie movie. Um, And I think that Margot Robbie does take the crown at the end of the day, but Ken is allowed to be the lead in a way that Barbie is not necessarily, where Barbie has to be a bit of the underdeveloped character so that she can go on a journey. Ken is kind of allowed to be brash, and he is allowed to be kind of more assertive and raucous after, you know, reading from the the tree of knowledge and discovering patriarchy. There's a bit... Not necessarily more for Gosling to do, but he is given more opportunities, I think, to go big. Um, he doesn't miss them. One of my favorite moments in the film, he's discussing how he went to the real world and a woman asked him what time it was. And that's how he realized 
that's how he realized that men could be respected. And he takes this knowledge back to the Kens to, to radicalize them into, you know, joining his patriarchal movement. And to say, he says, a woman asked me for the time. And then he waves his wrists to show that he's got like five watches. Um, and I thought that was a hilarious gag. I thought that Gosling is able to play tone so well and he's able to communicate even with just this little physicality so much. Um, so he he was just spectacular. And the other thing too, this is true of everyone, but I feel it perhaps most strongly of Gosling, but he is just so down. Capital D down. You can really tell how committed he is to this role and how... I wouldn't say that it's necessarily method acting, but he really gave his whole self over to, to Ken. Did, did you hear the story of how he was cast? I heard that it has something to do with his SNL work with Kate McKinnon, and if that's true, it's, it's God's will. I heard something different. I, I heard that he was basically approached for the part because... You know, he, he's an extremely talented actor and charismatic movie star. He would definitely be an asset to the film, but he hadn't decided yet. But he went outside and he found his daughter's Ken doll lying on the ground, completely naked, face down, next to half a lemon, snapped a picture of it, sent that picture to Greta Gerwig and said, I will be your Ken for this story must be told. And I think that is a perfect encapsulation of who Ryan Gosling is and why he is perfect for this part. I mean that that's the mood board that for this character. Like that's who <laughs> that's who his kin is because he has to play kind of the the throwaway character that no one typically cares about and he has to come in and make something out of it. And tell the story he does. Yes, his fingerprints are all over this and you know now from this day until the ending of the world he and it shall be remembered. And he is Kenneth. He is Kenneth. Ken has some of the best lines in the film. I mean, when I was watching this film, we were talking a little bit earlier about how millennial it is and how Greta Gerwig really has a, a IV into the zeitgeist. But when I was watching this, I couldn't help but think how it was it was a like pre-cooked meme. Like it's just add water and the meme is ready to go. Um, and I can I just can already see that this film will become part of like the internet language. Um and Ryan Gosling as one of the internet's kind of boyfriends or, or favorite people. Ken is already just dominating kind of the internet consciousness. So I, I'm very happy for this second life amidst his first life. That's the power of movie stars, man. That's right. There are a couple of others uh, that I want to shout out from the cast here. So we've already mentioned her, but I really loved Kate McKinnon as Weird Barbie. Kate McKinnon is someone who I feel is really criminally underused in a lot of projects. She was the best part of SNL for the many seasons where she was a cast member. Um, and she's had a couple of film roles here and there. But I think that she is able to do so much Um the performances that she's able to have are very calibrated and she is able to take them to a unique place. I don't think that there's many actors or, or comedians who can hit quite the same register. I think that she was a great, not foil, but a, a great variant of Barbie. I thought of her almost as like this Greek oracle type figure who has sort of been cursed by the gods and so now must explain the curses and fate to others. 
there's some meta-ness going on here. You know, again, she has a reputation for playing some quirky or off-the-wall characters. Um, the film is really leaning into that. But she, again, really knows how to own this character. She knows how to play off of, of regular Barbie and to make herself stand out. And she really helps to drive a lot of the action of the film. So I thought she was great. She is the Barbie who has been through the ringer. The, the one who gets lost at the bottom of a toy chest and is unrecognizable because the plastic is no longer holding together on the joints. The hair is cut off and marked up in different ways. And she looks like a mess, frankly. And that's exactly who you'd want actually Kate McKinnon to play in this kind of movie and she absolutely shows up you're 100% right about her being a Greek oracle type of figure because when Margot Robbie Barbie when her body starts shifting and her feet flatten and she has all these thoughts of death she's told she has to go see weird Barbie to find out exactly what's going on and I thought that was a really clever way to incorporate that kind of experience people have with Barbie into the movie because I think even if you did not have Barbies of your own, we may have all had friends or family members who did, and we've all seen a Barbie that looks like that. And I thought that was a clever uh, inclusion by, uh, by by Gerwig on that part. It was so funny because, again, it it does feel so universal. I had my sister played with Barbies. I sometimes was roped into playing with her Barbies when my parents were in a "you should get along" phase, and she had. Not quite one of her Barbies, but there was a a hairdresser bust Barbie, you know, where you could like style it in different ways. She got a haircut and that was the short end of hairdresser Barbie. Um, So so I I really just love that and how the film incorporates that into its own framing device. Because we meet her fairly early in the film, Kate McKinnon's character. We're still learning how everything works. And Kate McKinnon is the one who kind of reveals that Barbie land is a reflection of the real world. And when we see Kate McKinnon became weird Barbie when someone played with her too hard, that helps us understand, oh, the Barbies are affected by what's going on in the real world. Or they're shaped by how they're, you know, the the ways people play with them. Um, so I, I thought it was just very smart the way that the film used her character to help you feel connected or to help you, you know, to build a, a relatable relationship. Um, but also to say, like, this is how we're telling the story. This is how the viewer is going to understand what's at work here. Absolutely. Was there anybody else that you really you really liked in the cast? I really enjoyed Michael Sarah. He was, he was mine. my guy. I- I'll be honest, I do not know enough Barbie lore to know about the history of Alan, but I thought, assuming that he is a toy that was discontinued, then that was a brilliant inclusion, and I thought the way that he was written was incredibly funny. Michael Sarah played him, I would say, perfectly. This is maybe my favorite use of Michael Sarah since Arrested Development, and I would be remiss not to mention that performance that I loved very much. Yeah, this was the other performance that I really loved outside of the two leads. Um, and I think that Michael Sarah is is cast here for very deliberate reasons because he definitely has this kind of fish out of water or awkward perception um, and he's very good at playing those characters. So I love to see him as a male character who is a little bit exhausted by masculinity. And so he's able to kind of help, you know, communicate the story and he's able to kind of help communicate this idea that these gender roles are harmful to everybody. 
Um, he has one of my favorite lines that kind of sneaks past you, but as he's trying to help America Ferreira and Ariana Greenblatt escape Barbie land, he's talking about how the Kens are trying to wall in their, their community. And he says, we'll all be trapped once those Kens figure out how to build that wall sideways and not just up. And you see them just like building a column next to the road. They can't actually extend it so it blocks anything. I thought that was so funny. But he's used very well here. And he, again, you understand who this character is because he's played by Michael Sarah. And speaking of uh, America Ferrera and Ariana Greenblatt, they are as close to an audience surrogate character in this movie as we are want to get. And I've always enjoyed America Ferrera. I loved her in the How to Train Your Dragon films. I did not watch a lot of Ugly Betty, but I did enjoy what I saw. And I devoured all of Superstore. And I think that she is extremely fun in this movie. I, I like how she plays what has become of the women who played with Barbie when they were young. And the ones who learned exactly how much the real world is not like it is in Barbie land. And I, I had a lot of fun with her character. I, I thought she was wonderful. And Ariana Greenblatt plays her daughter who is in, I believe, middle school and is completely disillusioned by the ideas of toys and dolls and things like that but over the course of the film her relationship with her mother kind of repairs and i found that was very touching even though it was not the main focus of the movie yeah they are central to the plot even though they may not be the main characters of the protagonists per se um and i think that they do a great job because their relationship really underscores the journey that barbie and ken have america ferrera has a monologue towards the end of the film which has really gone viral and which has become one of the most celebrated parts of the film where she sort of explains the expectations put on women in society um, and the hypocrisy of men perhaps and the contradictions therein and she completely kills it she absolutely steals the show it is the emotional climax of the film in many ways and it really just expresses the thesis that Greta Gerwig has written she is coming out and saying the thing out loud and it works because it's so perfectly written and so true and that is what snaps them out of the brainwashing that Ken Land put them in yeah, um, and that could have gone very wrong. Um, I love Aaron Sorkin as much as the next guy, but when you just stop so that your character can moralize into the camera for a minute, you know, you can you can see some diminishing returns there. But I think that America Ferreira really does a great job infusing such heart, personality, emotion into it, and really making it land. So if not, if not for her, the film may not have succeeded. This is a critical juncture, and she really, she really stewards it right over the finish line. I think it works there because she's not trying to solve the plot with that monologue. She's only expressing her own frustration with the hypocrisy of the world, and that, it turns out, is the secret sauce that saves all the Barbies. But because we're not proffering her as this messianic figure to stop the world and make everybody listen, and suddenly everybody sees the error of their ways in the middle of hearing her speech, I think that it comes off as much more organic. Anything else you want to say about the performance here, about Barbie in general, Gilbert? Uh, no, I think we covered the movie pretty well. I, I love that there was a musical number uh, towards the end. I, just, again, what can't Credit Gerwig do? I thought it was brilliant that that musical number went from the Kens fighting each other to the Kens supporting each other because the one thing they can all agree on is how much they 
want to hold on to their power over all the Barbies? Margot Robbie is perhaps the centerpiece of this movie, but I think that Greta Gerwig is the winner of this movie. Um, I think that... 100%. Margot Robbie, again, does a great job, and she should be justly lauded for the work that she does here. But I think that this is the movie that's really putting Greta Gerwig on the map. Um, Before this, I think that she was a very celebrated indie director who was capable of fighting in the Oscars with the best of them and getting nominations. But I think that now she really is on her way to being a household name. I think that she is a director who will be able to command tremendous influence and pretty much pick her jobs from here on out because how do you argue with her track record? How do you argue with the critical or commercial success that she's had with this one film? And I think that it's all deserved. It's all meritorious. And she is going to get paid on her next movie. She she better be. So, amazing job by her. As optimistic as we tried to be, by no means was the success a foregone conclusion. Even with all of the social media hype and everything else, it was really, I think, Greta Gerwig being able to turn out something that was quality and something that was truly one of a kind that made the difference. All right. Well, make sure to go out and see this film or to see it again. It's worth it. I'm very excited uh, for my repeat watch. Um, But any water cooler for you this week, Gilbert? Anything that you want to enlighten our listeners over? Only that this is now our 10th episode. And I just want to thank everybody who made that possible. Steve, thank you for doing this with me. Thank you for keeping up with this. And thank you, audiences, for listening along with us. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I completely echo, echo. Echo, echo, what you're saying, Gilbert. Um, It has been an incredible journey. I really look forward to doing this with you. I look forward to the ways that I have to push my own thinking and kind of the ways that I experience movies. So it's been really rewarding. Um, I'm grateful that not only is it rewarding personally, but that people are actually listening. I hope it's rewarding for everybody whose ears we invade once every couple weeks. And I'm excited to just keep on rolling with you because there's so much more this year to keep us podding and keep us talking amen um so we're excited to continue sharing our experiences and sharing our thoughts with you of course we want to hear from you too so remember to follow us on x but it's really twitter i mean it's twitter i i I will only call it twitter i'm sorry (laughs) yeah i'm only doing it ironically but it's twitter it's Twitter. It's Twitter. Also Instagram. We are the Audio Surge Pod. Come follow us to keep up with our latest episodes, what we're thinking about next, and maybe just a little bit of what the internet has to say. Please follow us. Like <laughs> us. Subscribe to us. Rate share the review. podcast. Tell your friends about it. And more than anything else, keep coming back because we're very excited to keep on dissecting the latest and greatest in pop culture right here with you. So thanks again. And until next time, we'll see you at the beach. I'm C. Vieira. I'm Barbie. (laughs) And uh, we'll see you next time on Audience Surrogate.